Well, good morning, Gateway Church family. It is a joy and a privilege once again to share this time in the space with you as we get to dive into God's word and uh, learn a little bit more about uh, who he is, how he's called us to live, and to share this next uh, bit of time frame together. Well, I would encourage you as uh, we get into this message, Lord, that uh, you would open up your Bibles to Second Peter, sorry, First Peter, yes, First Peter 2, verses 1 through 12. Get your uh, fingers there and uh, we will get there soon enough. Um, but for this moment, I just want to open this, this portion of just a word of prayer, just for my heart and for our hearts. So Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for its message. Thank you, Lord, for its, your church, for its people, and the fact, Lord, that you've called us to be together, and you've given us the ability to do this, uh, in, this in this time frame that we are in. So Heavenly Father, we pray a blessing upon these moments ahead. These things we pray in your name. Amen. So when I was a kid, here I am. Uh, I think I'm probably like three here, and I'm thinking I'm like five or six here. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I remember playing with these toy trucks and these toy cars, and I had this one truck and trailer, this little backhoe on this truck with a trailer on. I loved, I just absolutely loved uh, making roads on my room floor and pretending to do big projects with this thing and build things and tear things down and move things around. And I thought one day in my life I'd eventually have the ability as an older dude like I am right now to do that as a job. Um, that didn't happen. Uh, later on in life, I, was, I remember I was driving to work one time with my dad. And I, I don't remember why this even came up. I was still a young punk just like this guy right here. And I remember leaning over to him and telling him, you know, I think, Dad, when I grow up, I, I think I want to work for Lego. I wanted to work in the, the, the big Lego manufacturer place and design Lego sets and make boats and backdrops and people on things. I wanted to do that for a job and to design Lego sets. But then as I grew up, I grew up into high school. I set my dreams on, on something else. I, I got into the idea that the film industry was going to be the ticket for me, that I wanted to be on the, on the opposite side of the camera than I am this morning. I wanted to be uh, Jolene here uh, on the back side of the camera, operating them and building the cameras and uh, the films and the videos and doing all of those things. And then outside of high school, sorry, that's where I wanted to be outside of high school. Sorry, outside of high school, sorry, I'm losing my track here. Uh, I wanted to be this business executive. I wanted to go into companies that were starting to fail, to revitalize them and to encourage them and to build them up and to resell them and make millions in the process. But eventually, though, uh, the Lord uh, made it ever so clear that uh, church work was going to be the thing and that uh, he was going to put me in this incredible spot to, to work alongside churches and families and members and, and just do the things I get to do now, which is incredibly exciting. And over the 16 years that I've been able to do things like this in various capacities, in various churches, is that I've learned that in, in church leadership, it's not, it's not just the vocational pastors that are called to pastor. I'll, I'll say that again. It's not just the vocational pastors, the ones who are paid, the ones who are employed, the ones who are staffed in churches that are the only ones called to pastor. And so I, I put it this way. If you, can, if you say that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have committed your life to live for him, you need to understand that every Christian is a priest and that we cannot separate what we do in life from who we serve. You have to understand that every Christian is a priest. And so we've been walking through our church values over the last couple of weeks. 
we started talking about how the gospel is above all else and that it's our, our main priority. It's everything that we do and everything how we stand. Uh, then we talked about whatever, we do whatever it takes to reach people and that at all things we need to be out there reaching people. We talked about making disciples and not just believers. We didn't want to make just a bunch of rule followers. We um, talked about how discipleship happens in circles and not necessarily in rows. And today we're going to be talking about how every Christian is a priest. You see, our attention is being slowly and methodically being focused on where our values culminate. Next week we will, we will close up the series by looking at a value of, of loving our neighbors as knowing our neighbors. And so today we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-12. through 12. A little background before we actually read the text of this. And so Peter, he's one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, he writes a letter to a variety of people who he calls the elect exiles of the dispersion. It's a bunch of fancy words to say a few small things, which we'll get to in a sec. Uh, Peter lived his life in a similar area that Jesus did. He, he lived in Israel on the, in the land east of the Mediterranean. It's, it's where the gospel message started. It's where uh, Jesus was born, did his ministry, ultimately died, and ascended into heaven from that area. And Peter, he knows and understands that this message is being spread out through the entire area, outside of Israel. And he writes to people like uh, the people in Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And he knows that there's Jews and Gentiles in those surrounding areas that are being converted to the way, to following Jesus Christ. And it's known in this area that these people, that they are called the dispersion. They are called the dispersed ones because they are not in Israel. They are on the outside of Israel. And so Peter's writing to them that in their, while they're new in their faith, they've experienced some elements of hardships because of it. And some people have lost the ability to own their lands. They've lost their ability to sell their produce or their, their wares in the markets. They've lost their place in society. They've lost their place in this world. But he also knows that there's a variety of other people who haven't had the similar hardships, but they've, they've experienced a different thing in that they feel separated from uh, Jerusalem. They feel a great distance between them because they know that that's kind of where things started. They kind of want to be where the party was at. Um, but there's this great distance, so he's trying to encourage them. So Peter reminds his audience of two things. He first says, there is a new place of your belonging, of their belonging. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3 or 4, he says... He says, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading and kept in heaven for you. He says there's a new place of your belonging. He points out it doesn't matter where you call home. Their new life is rooted now in the person and in the ministry and in the life and in the death of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where they live or what lands they call their own or where they sell their produce or their wares. And so Peter also then tells them, he says that they belong where they are for an exact purpose. He says in 1 Peter 1 verse 13, he says, therefore, Prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And so his instructions for us continue on in, verse, in chapter two, verses one through 12, which we'll read 
right now. So if you have your Bibles open, 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through 12. Peter says, So put away all malice and all deceit, all hypocrisy and all envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, as you have been, because there's been many people coming to faith in this, he says, a living stone rejected by man in the sight of God, uh, chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ as it stands in scripture, as it was written already before. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him, that's Christ, will never be put to shame. And so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who have, who, who have chosen not to believe, they may believe this, that it says, the stone that the builders have rejected have become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of defense, of offense, sorry. And so they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Verse nine, but you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have re- received mercy. He says, my dearest friends, my closest family, everybody whom I love, my beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as those who live far away, and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak of you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What a fun passage that is. And so this morning we're going to look at this passage in the light of three different parts. Uh, First part being an Old Testament priest, which is a very specific role. Because we're called, as every Christian, to be priests. And so two times in this passage, Peter, Peter tells his audience, uh, Christians who, again, are part of the dispersion, the, the ones who are far away, which, by the way, if you and I are not in Israel, and if we follow Jesus, we are a part of his audience. And he says to his audience, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. He says as well, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And we see there that word priesthood twice. And so the people who would have heard this for the first time, they would likely have been fairly aware of Jewish traditions and Jewish customs, and they would have known that the priest is is not just something that we can aspire to be. It's an exceedingly high calling only reserved for a select few. A little background here. And so at the end of the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, where the Israelites as a a nation get established and the the world's just kind of begun and uh, people are just starting to sort themselves out. Um, But towards the end of the book of Exodus, the Israelites there, they find themselves in the land of Egypt. And there they are, they're there with one of their own leaders. Uh, His name is Joseph. And Joseph is serving alongside a second in command to the Egyptian pharaoh. Long story short, these two men both die. And the whole memory of why the Israelites are even there in Egypt in the first place has been long forgotten. And so the Israelites end up in bondage and slavery and they're told to make bricks after bricks after bricks after bricks. And when they're done making bricks, make more bricks. They're in slavery, being the ones to build up the Egyptian economy. But while they're in the midst of doing all this, God says, this isn't my plan. 
So he raises up this leader named Moses, and he calls Moses to go in there and to be the one to uh, initiate the, the freedom of the Israelites. Long story short, Moses leads the whole nation of Israel out into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, the Lord then calls them to his, himself, and he provides for them a new way of life, uh, now a structured way of living. And it's really, really neat. There's a lot of really neat things that happen there in the wilderness. But one of the times, uh, so he calls Moses up to this mountain, Mount Sinai, and he, he unlays uh, all the groundwork for who the Israelite nation's gonna be. And I put up on the screen here, I believe. Uh, he says this, up on the mountain, God's talking to Moses. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. All the peoples on earth are the Lord's. And he's called Israel to be, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. You shall be to me a holy nation. It's really, really neat to see this. And we see God's heart. And we see God's heart say, God's people would be the ones to serve under him, to minister to the world around them. God's people would be the ones to serve under him, to minister to the entire world, to all peoples under him. This was the original plan. This was the original point. And so there up on the mountain, God gives Moses then a whole another 10 chapters of instruction, keeping him up there for some time. But at the base of the mountain, there's all the Israelites that are starting to wonder, where is Moses at? And they, they get a little unsettled. They get a little uncomfortable. And they're, they're starting to forget, because they're forgetful people, they start to forget who their God is and even who their leader is. So they go to one of their other leaders who, is, who are there and say, let's make us a golden calf. And so they make a golden calf and they start worshiping this, this object. So Moses is still there up in the mountain. God kind of gives him a little heads up that this is happening down below. So Moses runs down the mountain. He sees this, this, this party, this charade that's happening. He takes these two tablets of stone that he's been working on and he, he smashes them on the ground. He starts yelling and reprimanding the Israelites. He goes back up the mountain, meets up with God again, rewrites the tablets, re, re, re receives the instruction, and heads back down the mountain. And now as he gets down to the bottom of the mountain, he, he conveys to the Israelites in a large community meeting the Ten Commandments. Remember also that just this text that we've just read, that God is calling all of the Israel to be priests to all the nations. Well, Moses just read the Ten Commandments. And this is how they respond. Exodus 20 at 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet on the mountains and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid. Because that's all the stuff that was happening as God was meeting with Moses. And they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. I wonder if you catch what happened there. Israel just rejected the plan of God. That very original plan that God had to say, hey, you as a nation of Israel, you're going to be my chosen priests. You're going to be my holy nation to essentially evangelize myself to this entire world. But they said, no. We choose a different way. And they chose essentially to have Moses be their go-between. They essentially chose to have Moses be their only connection to God. And so in the chapters that follow, it talks about how this, they built a tabernacle. 
It's a, it's a really elaborate tent which serves as a precursor to that eventual permanent temple that would be built of brick and stone. It's a place where God would reside amongst them. It's a place where they could tangibly see that God was with them. But this tent came with a new limitation. The only way that people then as a nation now would be able to access God was through a priest that worked in that temple, in that tabernacle. And a priest that is uh, set apart from the rest. One who is qualified. So I thought we'd play a little game here and see if there's any one of us who are qualified. So I'm going to invite you in your homes, wherever you are, whether you're here as one of our praise team members, to stand up. And we're going to play a game. So I'm going to invite all of you to stand up, even in your homes, stand up. And I'm going to invite you to, as you meet these qualifications, or as you don't meet these qualifications, to sit down. So if you don't meet these qualifications, you're going to sit down wherever you are. So first, uh, you are male. You stay standing. These are qualifications for a priest. Uh, You are a male between the ages of 30 and 50. Stay standing. I'm sorry for some of my audience, but this one might hurt. Uh, You are not balding in any way. Stay standing. I'm sorry. Uh, If you have an untrimmed beard, stay standing. This is where I sit because I literally trimmed uh, this morning. So just visualize me, I'm sitting. Uh, Stay standing if you don't have any bodily imperfections. So you can't have a limp, uh, an odd-shaped arm, or a a hunchback, or any kind of disease that would just kind of eliminate you from being able to serve. Uh, So you don't have any bodily imperfections, stay standing. Uh, If you are an Israelite, stay standing pretty quiet in here. Uh, one of 12 of you probably is still standing. If any of you are still standing, you can still stay standing if you are the tribe of Levi. Any hands left up? Any people still standing? If there is, give me a text. I, I want to know who you are because you are a, certainly a special human being uh, that has a high qualification in life to be a holy priest within the nation of Israel. But we're not going to do that because the, the people also who are called priests, they had this thing on their foreheads. Uh, they wore a turban that had this sign, holy to the Lord, plastered on their forehead. They had these ornate priestly robes that set them apart in such an distinguished way. Old Testament priest himself was saying, I am holy and you are not. This priest was the one who gave access to God, who served as this mediator between God and people and between people and God. And he did this all through a whole series of rituals and ceremonies and offerings. And this was their system for quite some time, which leads us into part two we will receive Jesus as priest, as we see him be this perfect example. And so as we heard from from God and his words to Moses there up on Mount Sinai, that it was his goal that Israel would be that kingdom of priests, that they would be his holy nation, that the Israelites rejected that model. And then through the whole Old Testament, we, we see God continually seeking to restore this rejected relationship. And so he sends prophet after prophet to guide them back to himself. And then he sends these very specific leaders called judges in order to point out their sin and their wicked ways. Then even we read about God establishing kingship, that he provides them with kings, and and the Israelites even reject them. You see, the nation of Israel, they so badly wanted some element of leadership. But they were seeking it in all of the wrong places. They were seeking it from within themselves and not from within God who's invited them to this place of leadership themselves. 
And so God provided them example after example of the broken human condition that the leaders, the, the prophets, the judges, the kings would all fall short of the leadership that God really desired for them. None of these individuals, none of us could ever fit that bill to be that perfect priest, to be that person to see the kingdom of God fully restored and to come back to its original design. That could only happen in one very specific way. And so the New Testament begins and we see an incredible change happen as Jesus becomes a new way to approach God. So each of the four gospels there begin with their versions of the Advent story. Uh, the, the coming of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah who would restore all things that have been broken. And in this particular time still though, that the Jews, in order to access God, they could only access him through the temple, through the priests. And they were required there to go fulfill their sacrifices and all the duties of proper Jewish order. But Jesus comes on the scene and shows us this new approach. And he says things like, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the door. Push the wrong button. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. These statements shows, shows us that Jesus is telling us that he is all we need in order to access God. There is nothing else. There's no other process but him that he is the perfect prophet, that he is the perfect king, that he is the perfect priest. And as Jesus goes about saying all of these things, he's shattering Jewish custom and Jewish history and Jewish uh, ways of life. And he's saying that I am the very things that you have believed other things to be. It is all about me, Jesus says. But as the Jewish leaders were there listening into all of these things, uh, they would have nothing of it. And they nailed Jesus to a cross, being killed for being an obstruction to proper Jewish order. And then at his death, the gospel writer Matthew, he writes this. And at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and they yielded and he yielded up his spirit. He essentially died. He, he did die. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top and to bottom. And so remember we talked about the temple uh, that, that earlier that it would eventually be built. Well, this temple was this, there's this b uh, deep inside room. Uh, it was divided with a significantly large curtain that hung uh, upwards of 60 feet high. And behind that curtain was the most holy place. It was seen as the place where God resided himself that was only accessible to a priest and only in a very limited time frame as well. And so they needed this mediator, this priest, in order to gain access to God even in that space. And then Jesus in this time was that perfect example like we're talking about. But here now at Christ's death, the most holy place becomes available to everyone. God's presence would no longer reside in a small human-built structure, but now it would reside in the hearts and the minds and the souls of all who sought after him, all made possible by this death on the cross. And then to take this another step further, the author of Hebrews goes another direction and says that now that Christ, he's sitting at the right hand of God and he's fully available to you and to I, 
because he's been present with us, he has now taken on this incredible role of being the great high priest. And this great high priest, he lived as you and I do. We faced weakness and temptation, joy and gladness, but Jesus here, he did it all without sin, which is just remarkable as an example, a perfect example for you and I to be priests. Which brings us to part three, that we are priests, that this is essentially our calling. And so in the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, the four authors there all all show us that God, through Jesus, never intended to do all of the work on their own. That they came to raise disciples who would make more disciples, who would make more disciples, who would make more disciples. And so here's four texts through the Gospels that really stood out to me as I was t- looking at the words that, where Jesus was sending his, his people. Mark 6 says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Jesus came with the authority in the spiritual realm, but here he passes it along to the 12, to his 12 disciples. He says, it's not just about me and my work. This is about our work as we go about doing this together. And he called the 12 and began to send them out and he gave them the authority over unclean spirits. Next one in Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. So his, his, his work is growing through his growing followers. He sent out 72 others and sent them on ahead of them, two by two, into every town and every place where he himself was about to go. You see, Jesus had this plan. He had this mission. Even before he would go there, he sent these 72 people ahead of him. Again, highlighting that he didn't intend to do this work all on his own. That he includes you and I, and specifically these 72, in this moment to go on ahead of him. And he said to them, as you go about doing this, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send even more laborers, because it's not about me. It's not even about the 72. It's about us all doing this work. One of my favorite verses here, John 20. So John 20 now picks up. So Jesus has, has died. He's he spent the time three days in the grave. He has descended into hell. Uh, Three, three days again, he rises again, comes, comes to life again, uh, he's resurrected, and there's a bunch of days afterwards he's going through the community. But in this particular moment in John 20, he reappears to the disciples who are still hiding in the upper room because they're terrified that their fearless leader has been killed. And they don't know that he's coming back. He's told them, but they still don't yet quite believe it. And so Jesus, uh, he, he appears in this upper room and he says to them, peace be with you. Of course he says, peace be with you. They're terrified. He says, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me. You see, Jesus knows why he was on earth. He knows his purpose to grow, the God's, to grow God's kingdom. But he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am now sending you. Because it's not just about me doing this work. It's about us doing this work. So as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Another passage that we've looked at a few times, I think, through the last couple of weeks, Matthew 28. So again, here, Jesus, at the end of that time frame where he's, he's spent a bunch of time with his disciples, he's done a lot of really neat things with them and traveling around. Uh, he came, they came up to the top of a mountain somewhere, and he was going to ascend up into heaven. And these are his final earthly words that he shared with his disciples, and he shares with us. And now he says, all authority in heaven and on earth 
has been given to me. Now go, therefore, make disciples. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples. It's like he's transferring that authority or he's giving more of that authority to all of us as we, too, are supposed to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These texts just excite me, friends. But in this context of how we're talking about how every Christian is a priest, Jesus doesn't, in these, in these ver- particular verses here, doesn't necessarily use the word priest. He doesn't necessarily use the word pastor or even shepherd, perhaps. But it is clear to you and I, who are his disciples, that we are sent on his behalf to love and care for those whom he sends us to. We are sent on his behalf to love and to care for those whom he sends us to. So quick question here. Might it be possible that you are there right where you are for a particular reason, for a particular neighbor, for a particular colleague, for a particular family member? Could it be that you have been placed right where you are to be that prophet, to be that priest, to be that pastor, to share that message of this good news with them? And so last week, Pastor Joshua told us a little bit about the one another commands. There's 66 of them. And in those 66, there's about four different themes that emerge from them. There's a, a call to unity. There's a call to humility. There's a call to live a life with guiding principles. And there's a call to love, which takes up about a third of those, um, of those commands. And, and if we were to draw out a job description for us as Christian priests from those New Testament priests who are, who are called and who are sent of Christ, if we were to draw that out to see how we are to function, we don't have to look too much farther than these, than these one another commands where it says love one another. And I'd love to spend the next half hour talking more about these things, but I think we're going to talk about more of those next week. To love one another, to serve one another, to accept one another, to greet one another. Now, if you go and read the verse about this one, it actually says to greet one another with a holy kiss. We don't have to worry about the kissing part, but we need to greet each other, be honest and available to each other, to be devoted to one another. That's why here at at Gateway, we do life groups. It's a way to set us up in a system where we can be committed to a small group of people that's attainable, that's reachable, and we can be devoted to each other in this. And what I see happening in these verses is an incredible picture of a caring and an incredible, compassionate people. I see people who are feeling deeply connected to each other through the common bond of faith. And here at Gateway, this is where you, my church family, from my vantage point, you are amazing. One of our values is that all of our members, all of our church family would be known, loved, and accounted for. And since the beginning of COVID, which is now just, just under a year ago, we commissioned our elders, our care team leaders, and our life group leaders uh, to go into our community and to regularly be in communication with them, even more than they were before. And now just uh, over a year into this, uh, these teams have been doing this ministry. And I can tell you in firm terms that over 70% of our congregation, that's 70 70% of our congregation, in the last two months have been connected with, with by some of these teams. And that's an incredible statistic, and I even know it's low. But, but what is not included in that statistic is that it doesn't count for the relationships that are naturally happening. 
The, the, the ones that are because of family connections, the ones that are happening because of friendships, the ones that are happening because of people just being neighbors. Peter writes to his audience in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. And so Peter tells his audience, he says, you are doing this. You are being that body of priests who are out there connecting God to people and people back to God. And I am here telling you, church family, that you are doing it. You are regularly connecting God to people and connecting people back to God. And as pastors, as Pastor Marcel, Pastor Justin, myself, we look at what you're doing and how you're living as a church family, and we are just so proud and so excited about the work that you are doing as you're playing an incredible role in growing and caring for God's kingdom. So church family, keep up the phone calls. Keep up the emailing and the texting, the dropping off of gifts and meals with family members, with church family members and others within our church family and out of our church family. But I encourage you, Keep doing this, doing this knowing that you are in fact called and equipped to the role of representing Christ to the world around you. Christ has in fact called and equipped you to that very role of representing him to the world around us. What we see happening in these verses is an incredible picture of a caring, compassionate people. People who long to see more people experience the same care and the same compassion. In Gateway Church, wouldn't you know it? You keep inviting people to here to join you at church. We receive regularly connection cards from our visitors who have heard about our church through you and through your conversations that you're having. We have seen our life groups accept new members to our church family. We have seen people offer support in really amazing and tangible ways to each other and those who are in need. And so Peter writes to his audience in uh, 2 verse 5. He says, but you yourselves are like living stones or being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. You are being built up as a spiritual house. So we talked a little bit about the tabernacle and a bit about the temple. And both of these dwellings were pretty neat structures for the Israelite nation. But both of these buildings were built from objects like wood, cloth, stone, bricks, all simply objects lifeless, dead, non-living things. But Peter now points out that you and I, that we are to be going out as priests into this world, connecting God to people and people back up to God, that we are those very objects. We are those living stones that are building up the brand new temple of God. Telling us that there is no reason why God has to house himself in an immovable structure anymore. But he chooses to dwell and to minister to all the people through you and I. So church family, keep up the extending the invitations to your life groups. Keep up extending invitations to our youth ministries, to our our live stream services like this morning. Your efforts are working and people are deepening their faith in him through what you are doing as the role of the priest. So uh, Mrs. Lena earlier talked about this 30-day prayer guide and this initiative that we're doing coming up that we're going to ask you to, to join us on February 14th. In this prayer guide is uh, daily prayers where we invite you to pray for those four people that we have been inviting you to, to select out of your family or out of your community, out of your workplace, out of your school. 
and to join us in this initiative to pray for these people so that we can ask the Lord to give us encounters, to give us moments where we can talk to them. Again, uh, we're gonna talk more about this next week with uh, Pastor Marcel, and then the following, uh, following that service, we're gonna invite you to come on down, receive your package of these things and some other goodies, and we're gonna have fun doing that. And so in closing, what does all this mean? It means that like the Old Testament priests, that we have full access to God. And you might even argue that we have even a closer access. You see, they had to go into these very specific places, that small inner room in that temple. We don't have an inner room that we have to go to in order just to access God. We simply have to even close your eyes and bow your head or go into a moment of prayer, even think about God and you are there with him because he is always there with you. And it's an incredible thing that even that John 20 that we talked about earlier in that same context, Jesus breathes his life, his spirit into his disciples as he breathes the same spirit into you and to I, giving us even a more fuller, incredible access to God. Like Old Testament priests, we serve as mediators between God and people and between people and God. And you might even argue that we have more to work with, that we have the entire book of the Bible. We know the whole story. We have the record of the life and the death of Jesus Christ, which gives us a better access to be more than mediators. We have the ability to guide people towards Jesus and then to see other people do the exact same thing as disciples make more disciples. And like Old Testament priests, we serve as those who offer sacrifices. And you might even argue that we have it simpler. You and I, we don't have to go to our backyard farms and select a cow or sheep that give that to the Lord. We don't have to take our own livestock as all Jesus wants is our hearts, is our affection and our devotion which is sacrifice in itself. And so remember where we started. I was reminiscing about the careers I wanted as a little kid. From driving big trucks, to designing Lego sets, to being a movie producer, to making it big in the business world. Well, the neat part about these roles is that God could have called me to love and to serve and to care for his people in any one of them. The neat part about those roles is that God could have called me to love and care for his people in any one of them. Just like how now God has called and equipped you to serve him and to love and care for the people that he brings you towards and that he will bring towards you in all the places that you are in. And so maybe, maybe you are that truck driver delivering feed or picking up milk. Well, he's called you to love and care for your customers. Maybe you are that product designer being representatives of God's creativity. Well, he's called you to love and to care for your clients. Maybe, maybe you're that movie producer. Maybe you're that person that's seeking to make people happy by telling an incredible story. Well, he's called you to love and care for your coworkers, but more so your audience. Maybe you're that business executive being a part of how society functions. Well, he's called you to love and care for your managers, your employees. And so you see, in all of this, we cannot separate what we do in life from who we serve. We cannot separate what we do in life from who we serve. And so you might find that you're a pastor slash mom or dad. You're a pastor slash farmer. You're a pastor slash construction worker, a pastor slash lawyer, a pastor secretary, a pastor teacher, a pastor student, a pastor 
whatever it is that you do. Because you cannot separate what you do in life from who we serve. So I think you might get the point. You see, it's, it's, it's not just that vocational pastors here at Gateway do all of the work. It's that we as an entire body of pastors, of priests, followers of Jesus who are called to love and serve the lost, that together we are here to help all people to love and serve Jesus. And you know, I firmly believe that there are a whole host of people outside of our church walls, outside of our church family, that the Lord is calling to himself, that he has placed you and I in these very specific places at this very specific time in order to be his priests and his pastors towards, to extend his invitation to everyone. Amen. Let's close in prayer. So Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for preserving this this amazing, amazing book. Lord, that so many of us, we take for granted. Lord, we thank you so much for it all and the challenges that we regularly receive through it. Thank you, Lord, for this current sermon series where we've been able to, to walk through these incredible values that you have instilled on us as a congregation. Help us, Lord, to hear them, to learn them, and to, to see them in action in our lives. Help us, Lord, to even see that we are, in fact, called to be pastors in every part of life that we are in. Help us, Lord, to do that better tomorrow and even today in this very afternoon. So Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for being you. We thank you for being that, that amazing example of all that love and all that care and all that attention. May we not take that for granted. And may we give back to you what you deserve, all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our attention, all of our devotion, all of our affection. These things I pray in your holy, mighty, and incredible name. And God's people say, amen.